to be honest with you, at the age of 13, I, I considered suicide. I was so desperately lonely at that point at 13 years old. And I know children now struggle with this as well. I know I'm not the only one, but it was very lonely. And I just thought I just couldn't go on. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you? What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Welcome to the first episode of How My Parents Raised Me. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey of sharing stories. You know, most of us can spend our entire lives not sharing our childhood story our unique story of how our tiny little self might have struggled, suffered, felt lonely, disconnected, different. And because most of us keep our stories hidden, we can often feel even more alone. I believe we need to normalize what has happened to us. When we can see that we're not alone, that we were on a similar path and how we have grown and healed, there is so much power in that. There's so much loneliness on the earth in 2020 and our kids and teens can often be desperately lonely in their own homes. By understanding and being more aware of what happened to us, we can start to change things for future generations. We can bring down the rates of anxiety and depression and youth suicide that are so out of control right now. This is simply about truth. We need to hear and honor those voices. Each week I'll be hearing a story of childhood and this week I am chatting with Emily. Emily was adopted at birth. She often felt like an outsider, lonely and disconnected for much of her childhood. Emily was adopted by a good family and whilst there were happy times, the need to belong and be seen and heard were ever present. Emily is full of wisdom now as she recounts her story, including a deep desire to end her own life at just 13. Please join me in hearing Emily's story. When did you first become aware that you were adopted? I honestly don't remember, you know, being sat down or anything. My parents always told me and I asked them, actually, I don't know if that was a year ago or it wasn't very long ago. I remember asking them why they did it the way they did it. And, you know, they just didn't want to lie to me and they wanted me to know that I was, you know, adopted. 
And, um, and it's true. Like, what's the ideal time to tell a child? That's, that's not an easy answer. So my whole life, I, I always knew. I think that's got to be a good way to do it, hasn't it? Because otherwise it becomes like a, a thing that you all of a sudden learn. And then it's, it must be tricky for people to find out later. Yeah, I think that could be devastating to people. But I mean, it, it's not an easy thing to say because there's, unfortunately, there can be different, you know, different feelings that come with it. You know, yeah. a feeling of, of feeling, you know, not that biological connection, yeah. you know, and then there's always the wondering of, you know, why, why was I given up for adoption? So it's, it's not an easy case, you know, for anybody. I think parents have to do the best they can and tell the child when they feel it's the best time and they can comprehend it. So what do you know about the story of why you were adopted? Why, why they adopted me? Yeah, um, my parents adopted me because my mom was able to have one child, my brother, and then she found out that she was not able to have any more children and they wanted more children. So they looked into adopting right at the, um, it's like the county services and, um, and that's where I was adopted from. So it was from birth, obviously. So you were you were a newborn baby? I was seven weeks old when they adopted me. Yes. Very young. Just a little one. <laughs> wow. And yeah. so when you said you, you had a brother, so was it just the four of you in the family? It was just the four of us for quite a while. And then my parents wanted to adopt another child when I was 12. And they started that process. It takes a while. And um, so my sister was adopted from Korea at the age of almost seven years old. Talk about mm -hmm. a contrast from seven weeks to seven years. So yeah, she was quite a bit older. And you know, they have the full language and memories of a different life. And so yeah, that was really amazing. Yeah, she's a, and she and I are very close, my sister and I, very fun. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So tell me a little bit about your adoptive mom and dad. Who were they? What, what where did they come from? Yeah, um, so my mother was brought up in uh, uh, the middle of the state of New York, if you will. It's called Rome, New York. And um, she was brought up by pretty much a single mom, my grandmother, because my grandfather, um, unfortunately, was a drunk and he, and he was violent. So um, my grandmother, though, was an amazing woman. And I admire her so much for all the way from raising a child pretty much on her own, actually on her own, to um, she could do anything that woman. She was a business teacher in a high school. So she knew how to handle money. She knew how to sew anything she wanted to. She could make anything that woman could cook or bake anything. My grandmother was just an amazing woman. So I have so much respect for her and I was blessed to know her until I was 12 years old when we lost her. Oh. And then my, yeah, sadly. Yeah. It was, it was, that was very difficult. I would have liked to have gotten to know her better. Um, and then my father, he was brought up, He's, he's Russian Jewish background and he was brought up Orthodox Jew in, uh, in New York City in Brooklyn. And back then it was a very rough area when he grew up. And so there's gangs and all sorts of things. It was not a good place to be. So um, he had a difficult childhood as well with his, his parents. His father also was a drunk. It's very interesting, isn't it? It's so many families. Unfortunately that they had some, you know, he had some difficult times as well as a child and he had... So my mom was the only child, by the way, and my father had one other brother, older brother, that's six years old. So I just wondered when you were a child with, in that family, how did you feel as an adopted child? Did you feel like you were 
fitting in with that family or did you feel a little bit disconnected? Yeah, it, honestly, it was difficult. It was very difficult for me. I truly felt that my brother, who is biological, was the preferred child. Um, he was better at, you know, verbalizing his feelings and he was funny. And my brother has a lot of great qualities to him. And I was very much the opposite. I was quiet and insecure and uh, didn't know how to voice my feelings. And growing up with my parents, I felt that they definitely preferred my brother. And sadly, though, it splintered a little bit. My father would take my side for a while, and then my mother would take my brother's side, which I'm not saying that's healthy. That's just kind of how it worked in my family. And so I, my dad did try to take my side sometimes. But it was difficult because he was such a shining star, and I just felt like I wasn't. And so I had to grapple with those feelings. and. Uh, you know, and, and I don't think my parents knew how to help me with those feelings. I think being adopted comp compounded that, really. It made it more difficult and more uncomfortable. And, um, you know, because as an adopted child, you're like, why was I given up? You know, what was wrong with me? You know, children, that's, that's how they think. And I don't continue to feel this way. But at the time growing up, yes, I felt very much alone and uh, outsider in my own family. A lot of the times, I'm not saying there weren't wonderful memories. We did. We have wonderful memories together of different trips that we took and fun times. My parents would get pizza every Friday night and we would have root beer floats. And so there's a lot of fun memories, but I did struggle with who I was and how, how I fit in and what family was, what, what did it mean? So I think that's probably the best way to sum that up. Yeah, it was yeah. a difficult time. Yeah. And how does that play out? Like in your relationships with trying to make friends and things like that, does it, does it impact that as well? When I was a child or, yeah. or even, yeah, as a child, absolutely. I, I struggled with friendships and knowing who to trust. And I actually just listened to a podcast um, the other day that talks about adoptees and our struggle to trust people, because think about it. You're, lose your birth mother. She has you maybe for a couple of days in the hospital or maybe not at all. And then you're handed over in my case to a foster mother. And then I was handed over to my adoptive parents. So as a baby, you're even thinking I'm not being held by the same people. I'm not being taken care of by the same people. And so I think it's, it's a definitely, it's a struggle with relationships. It's the trust. It's, um, and, and as a girl, you know how girls can be so mean to each other. And when they see a weakness and insecurity, oh my goodness, some mean girls really feed off of that. And so I was picked on um, quite a bit as a child. And so, yeah, I never had one of those best friends other people do when they grow up. And I'm a little envious about that, but that's okay. I have remedied that now. That's, that's hard, isn't it? To feel all of those feelings as a little, a little child. And often we don't even know what those feelings are when we're, when we're seven or eight years old, do we? We just, we just kind of feel disconnected and... And it's not until we're older that we work all that stuff out. We figure it all out. That is so true. As you get older, you have a different perspective and you see people trying to raise their children. You see your siblings trying to raise their children and do a great job. And as a child, though, you know, psych psychologically speaking, we are in our own world and that's just normal. You know, mm. we just we don't understand things. And, and how could you? You only have five years or 10 years on this earth. You're not going to understand things like that's an adult. But yeah, it was a rough time. It was not fun. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was really rough for me. And I'm overly sensitive too. And that doesn't help. It was painful. 
Yeah, so when, as you're getting a little bit older, like say around 10 or 12 years of age, you're probably quite aware then of that there, because, you know, when you're little, it's kind of just how it is. And then you start to sort of get a bit more aware, don't you, of, of that everybody else's parents are a little bit different to the ones that you've got. And how did you start feeling? Did you, did you start feeling like it was more disconnected as you were getting older or did you find a way to kind of get along better with your adoptive parents? Yes, I was definitely aware of how other people treated their children and, and it was painful. I had a good friend, which thankfully I'm still friends with her. Um, she moved away when we got a little bit older, but at that time, about 10 years old, nine years old or so, she and I became friends and she even saw what, how I was being treated. And it was nice in a way because it helped me, uh, you know, it was an affirmation that I wasn't imagining things that I truly was being treated differently than my brother. And I, I don't know if children have to be treated differently, right? But you know what I mean? That we weren't treated fairly. I wasn't treated fairly. So that was the relief to me to have that friendship. And then, yeah, as, as you're getting 10 and 12 and you're visiting other people and you have adults come into your life that want to help you, I had other people tell me that they saw as well how I was not treated fairly by my parents. And it... Again, it was nice to have that affirmation, but it's incredibly painful because you actually want to believe that you are the one that is totally, you know, has the wrong concept and that you perceived it incorrectly. But no, unfortunately, other people saw it and I wasn't the only one that saw it. And that was incredibly painful. And as you get into teenage years, you know, preteen years, you really need your folks still. You need your parents. You need support. And um, it was very painful and lonely time. It was very difficult, for sure. And, uh, but I think the good thing was that it kind of pushed me to actually make some friends at about that age and to try my own abilities. Like I would work at my art and try to be really good at art and try to, you know, you seek praise from other people. And that's what I was doing in school. I was seeking praise and confirmation that I was somebody that was worth something and um, someone that had abilities and talents that you know, were outshadowed, overshadowed rather, by my big brother. And did you feel a sense of loneliness then growing up? Was it loneliness? Terribly lonely. I felt like such a social outsider. And um, to be honest with you, at the age of 13, I, I considered suicide. I was so desperately lonely at that point at 13 years old. And I know children now struggle with this as well. I know I'm not the only one but it was very lonely. And I just thought, I just couldn't go on. How do you continue on? Because, you know, when you're 13, you're like 18 at 18, I can leave my home and go to college. Five more years seems like forever when you're only 13, it feels like an eternity. And I'll tell you this, I don't know what you believe or what, but I believe this. I truly believe the voice of God spoke to me and said, just hang on. I will get you through this, get to 18, you can go and have your own life and do your own thing and just hang in there. You have, you have things you need to do on earth. And I'm grateful for that, that that came through because I really literally tried to think of ways to do it, which oh. is horrible. Were you going to church at that age or that was something that your family was doing? Yeah. My parents are, are Christians and to me, they're fundamentalist Christians they are very, very conservative. And um, that can be very limiting to a child that's, you know, it's very black and white. 
wish there's comfort in black and white. And I understand why people go that way and they want to believe, you know, that everything is just straightforward, but I don't believe that way. I think it's a messy, uh, goofy at times, frustrating journey. And I think it's better if you, you know, go on the journey together than always being judged. And, you know, I think there's just times you don't need to tell your child your opinion. You just need to let it go. If you don't like the shirt they have on, who cares? It doesn't mean they're going to be wearing it in 10 years or two years or even two months. Just let it go, you know, but I, yeah, Christianity, (laughs) Christianity can be very limiting or it can be very freeing. And I, I feel like I found a version of that that is very freeing, but as my childhood, it was very, restrictive it was like a straight jacket that I just never could live up to that and I just never felt worthy I never felt loved I never felt um you know it just was I couldn't connect with that kind of a god that was being described to me and told to me and fortunately though I started about I don't know if it's 10 or 12 or whatever even before that on and off I would have flashes of a connection with god but as I got older and then like I said that when I was 13 wow that really that really helped me feel more connected and loved and supported by a higher power, if you will. And it just, it made a huge difference to my life. So there's pros and cons, and I'm not saying any religion has the easiest time of sharing it with, you know, any parent. It's not the easiest thing to share it with their children because they might feel like it's forced upon them or whatever, but yeah. <laughs> it's amazing it just, your parents were fundamental Christians and you felt so constricted by that. And yet you found your own side to that and, and still got something really positive out of it. So that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'll have, I have to say, and I figured this just out in the last five years or so, I, I got out of a bad marriage um, seven years ago and I've come to realize I have a strength about me that I didn't even realize I have this core strength um, and, and, and my parents would call it stubbornness because I just wouldn't like, you know, relent on certain things. And I wasn't sorry, but I had to say, I'm sorry, or, you know, ask for forgiveness or whatever. But I really have come to believe that I have such a strong core that has gotten me through these difficult times that I can look back now with a whole different perspective. And I'm grateful for the bad times because you know what? It makes you who you are. I wouldn't be who I am if I had a cakewalk, you know, like as they say, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't be. So I'm okay with it, but man, it was very restrictive and I had to think outside the box. And that's actually one of my favorite things to do now. So see, I, you never know. Things can work out, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So if you, if you go back to that teenage time, what, what sort of things do you think your parents could have done differently? Is it about listening more? Is it, I remember myself as a teenager feeling terribly lonely. I just feel it's such a difficult time for everybody. There's so much going on, isn't there, as a teenager? And I just feel like our parents should be the ones that help us through that instead of compounding it and making it so difficult. You know, from your experience, what what could have happen differently do you think for you well I think it starts at the foundation you know when you're a child and a little child and you're growing up and um and it doesn't mean that a parent can't fix it when they get you know the child's 10 or something but ideally that you feel accepted and loved for who you are for your strengths for your weaknesses you need to feel safe and able to talk to your parents and share with them that you're struggling, share that you're considering something horrible. Um, you know, 
if you don't talk and just have open communications, you're not going to have any kind of lasting relationship, are you? It's just, there's just no way to do it. So yeah, I think if parents can try to keep an open line and say, look, kiddo, I might be frustrated with you and you might be frustrated with me, but we need to try to talk to each other because I love you and I want what's best for you. And I have your back no matter what. You and I are a team and I will, you know, I want you to get where you want to go, but we need to talk and, and you, you've got to open up. So I think if you can start at a young age, ideally, yes. But let's say a parent didn't get their act together till later on in life. It's not over. You can still reach out, you know, even if your kid is 40 or something. <laughs> so I think you still can reach out. But ideally, bringing your child up, yes, that's the biggest thing. Feel loved, feel accepted, no matter what happens. That's crucial. I love that. I love that so much. And I feel exactly the same. I feel like sometimes we really complicate parenting and, and our kids are just people as well. You, you wouldn't speak to anybody else the way often we speak to our kids. And I feel like it's overcomplicated, yes. you know, it's just communication and it's, that's how it should be. And I, I'm interested when you talked about your, your strong grandmother was she a very communicative person? It sounds like you had a, a connection with her in some way. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't have the best connection probably because I was young and you're still about yourself. Um, and then when I got a little bit older and she came to live with us because she completely went blind. She was blind in one eye for years and years and she still did everything. She was amazing. She didn't let that hold her back. She was not a victim. That woman was hardcore tough. I mean, she was amazing. So communication, I think it got a lot better when she moved in with us, when she went completely blind, because I saw her more. Number one, she wasn't hours away in a car drive to get to her. And I got to sit down and listen to her stories of growing up. She was born on the kitchen table in a storm with a lantern being held over her mom's body. I mean, it, it just, that was in 1898. That's a long time ago. My grandmother was 41 when she had my mother. So she, yeah, she has that's a fascinating story. Those, those days, right? That was very, very different. Yes. Yeah. She grew up on a farm and she actually was not close with her parents either. She was closer with her grandparents. She felt very loved by them, supported. And um, she actually became, I felt like a little bit of an advocate for me when she was there. And, and she wasn't taking sides, but, and that's what I loved about her. She just seemed very fair and straightforward and there's no favoritism. You felt loved and, um, but she also didn't take any crap, excuse me, but she didn't. So she, <laughs> she was straightforward about things. And I respected that. You can respect that. Even if you don't feel the same way as somebody, if they're just straightforward with you, you can deal with that a lot better than feeling like you'll never measure up and good luck. You know, kind of thing. So yes, my grandmother really modeled for me some beautiful things for that short period of time that I got to live with her. Sadly, she died when I was 12 years old of colon cancer. And I'll be honest, I know I didn't appreciate her like I should have at the time. So growing up after I lost her, I would just think back to the things that she did and what she had accomplished and what a great role model for a woman she was. Just tremendously strong person. Oh, what a, what a gift to have that person, even for a short time in your life. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I'm so blessed to have had her. I feel that way all the time. I feel like she's still with me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so 
when you were was it when you were a teenager that your sister was also then adopted or how old were you i was 13 years old when kate was adopted and uh yeah again she was almost seven years old we had to go to fly to new york city we're growing up in, uh, near Rochester, New York, in the middle of the state, central New York, if you will. And we had to fly to New York City to meet someone that had, you know, brought her over and to meet her. And so that was a big, huge, you know, shift in, in my life, a huge change. I had been begging for a little brother, but they ended up adopting a little sister. And of course, I'm wonderfully glad they did. But initially, I was like, oh, I have to share being a girl. <laughs> it's already hard enough, right? But yeah, it's a huge change. And it was so cute as she learned English and you know, I saw her with the different things that she had to learn and, and grapple with and talk about a change. I mean, culture shock, language, she had it all. And uh, talk about another strong woman. My sister's very strong. And I have great respect for her and admiration. She's an amazing woman. So, yeah, you took a little child and took her across the world. And um, she was adorable because she would, you know, drink and eat everything I did for a while. And then she realized she didn't need to do that. She could you know, do, she didn't like what I like. She didn't like orange crush, you know, orange soda. She wanted, you know, whatever it was. So, yeah. so, so cute, but she brought, you know, she brought some, a mixture, right? Cause she's a sibling. So she brought a mixture of um, joy and um, frustration because, you know, kids do that. She was young and, but she needed a lot of attention. She had a lot of needs and totally understandable. Yeah. Yeah. And how, <laughs> how did that all work? So you, you had, a an older brother and a younger sister and and how did the dynamics of all of that work for for your family yeah it really changed right i became i was the youngest and i went to being the middle child which we all know the uh, stereotype about being a middle child and it was true i mean she needed a lot of things my brother was a superstar and i was just kind of out in the cold is pretty much how i felt i just you know, you know how I talk, I spoke about how my folks would take sides. And again, that's not healthy. I'm not saying to do that, <laughs> but that's what happened in our family. So then my father ended up taking my sister's side on things and I was completely out of the loop. So I really felt alone. And that's why I considered suicide at that time, because it just got to be so difficult. And then, um, you know, time moves on and marches on and into my teen years, you know, you end up getting jobs and, and you meet other people. And so you're not in the house as much. And for me, that was, that was nice. I was glad to be out making some money, meeting other people. And I, these people didn't identify with me as, uh, you know, my, uh, one of my family members, you know, and they didn't know my brother and they didn't know my parents. So when you get out into that world, you can prove yourself. And um, I remember some of my different bosses and supervisors saying to my mother, you know, what a great worker I was and I was creative or whatever it was and they would give me praise and I felt such relief, you know, and so grateful that they were saying that to my mother. So yeah, that was a huge, huge deal for me for sure. Yeah. And I just want to acknowledge the fact that you, you've said that at 13, you, you felt like you wanted to take your own life and that's, yeah. that's a huge, that's such a huge thing, isn't it? To look back on and to realize that that was actually a reality. And that was something that yeah. you contemplated at that time. Yeah, it's a horrible memory, of course. And, a, and a, you, know, you almost feel ashamed to say it, but it's a reality because so many people now, I mean, I don't know if you've heard the latest statistics, but with this whole COVID, the statistics of, of teenagers and people you know, of all ages 
looking at suicide as a solution is really huge right now. And, you know, it is hard. Like I haven't been able to see my adoptive family or anybody else. And it's been very difficult time. So I can understand why people are feeling that way. So I just wondered during that time when you were feeling so low when you were around 13, did you have any other mentors or people in your life that you felt that you could turn to to talk to? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, one person uh, pops into my mind, and she was one of the people that confirmed to me that I was not treated fairly by my adoptive folks. And she was a real light because I didn't get to see her a lot, but I did get to see her most Sundays at church. And this woman was a coach and, uh, a, you know, what we call a gym teacher, phys ed teacher. And she was again another role model of of an um, of an amazing woman because she was strong, she had her faith, she had a good family that she came from, and uh, again she was straightforward and I loved that. And for her to confirm to me that not only was I not being treated fairly, but that I had talents and abilities was really. Ah, it was so needed at that time in my life. And I, I, I doubt that she knows how, how needed it was and how timely her help was. I didn't have a lot of adults to talk to or confide in, but I did go to some of my friends' homes and then their parents were really nice and uh, friendly and showed me a different way of thinking and treating people. So I would say that one person stands out and her name is Judy. And, um, she was really, uh, really amazing. And I'm, I'm blessed I had her because, you know, when you're so lonely, you end up holding on to these words much more than these people realize. They don't understand the value of them and the power that they have, that when you are alone in your room and you're in trouble and you don't totally understand why, or you just feel very alone and you can't talk to anybody, that you just remember those words. They really resonate and they stay with you and you pull up, you know, you pull up those memories at, at times when you need that support. So I hope that we all do that for other people's children and for each other, because words are powerful. They can really hurt or they can really mend. And I'm grateful for people that told me things I needed to hear because I held on to those and replayed it, you know, like a movie in my head. I would just keep replaying it. So oh, yeah, amazing. really helped. That's amazing. That yeah. You replaying it in your head i love that because if you you know you didn't hear enough positive stuff but the things that you did hear you just kept using the same things and and that's a real strength there that you had to do that so yeah. it's just so important that we have somebody in our life to give us that that positive isn't it yes it's crucial you know it can be a teacher some teachers really helped me out as i was growing up other teachers were hurtful. As a teacher now myself, I would never compare siblings, but I actually had someone tell me that they liked my, my brother's writing better than mine in a special kind of English class that we took, like a, it was like creative writing, as a creative writing class. So words are powerful and people need to remember that. And you know, the old adage, if you can't say something nice, don't say something at all, really yeah. can apply to children. My goodness, they're going to remember the negative way more than the positive. So just kind of, 
shut your mouth, really. <laughs> That's kind of what I'd like to say to people. Keep it closed. <laughs> yes, it's so true. It's so true. We don't need to say it. It's like you don't need to say it unless it's positive. It's just, right. and it, it's amazing, isn't it, that those are the things that, that stay with us. You're repeating it now however many years later, and we all have those things that people have said to us. And it's very hard to get rid of those things out of our own brains. Yes. It's so unnecessary to hear it in the first place. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And they do, they stay with you forever. I still remember things that were not nice said to me, right? From when I was really small. Yes. So yeah, please folks just, yeah, just be quiet. And you can't say anything nice at all. Can't find anything positive to say. And you're so mad, just count to 10 and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's my advice. <laughs> So I'm guessing that right through your childhood, you would have been thinking about who are my real family. Absolutely. All the time. And, and when you're really upset with your adoptive folks, I'm sure even children that, you know, had better experiences than I did, you wonder, are they thinking about me? And are they trying to find me? Are they going to come rescue me? Are they going to give me a different life? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So what, what was the journey then for you to find your birth parents? I had stops and starts, really. And fortunately, my adoptive mom especially was very supportive. Both my parents were supportive of me looking. And at one point, my adoptive mom even gave me like the paperwork. And it even had like my birth mother's name, but blacked out. So you couldn't see it. But with technology, you might have been able to try to figure it out. And I don't know what happened to those papers, but they disappeared. And that was at a family gathering. And I feel like somebody else didn't want me to, to do it. But I don't know for sure about that. But yeah, so on and off, I thought about finding them. And sometimes I was scared because you hear about bad stories about, you know, you were given up for adoption because your parents were drug addicts or whatever. You just don't know, you know, or they had, you know, mental issues or I don't know you just you know when you when you, the unknown is so scary that we just love to blow it up don't we we love yeah. to make it into this drama and this crazy movie that we've watched or like yeah so that played in the back of my mind for years and then a few years ago I I'm a researcher by trade by the way so this is the funniest thing to me I actually hired somebody else a genealogist to research my birth parents because I had that DNA done with that ancestry DNA and so I hired her and I gave her, you know, the ages of my birth parents from what I was told and, and that was on the paperwork and everything. And so she did research and called me up and I went over to her house and we sat down and she told me that unfortunately she couldn't find my birth mother yet, but she had found who she believed was my birth father and he had passed away at age 55. And my heart just sank. I thought, this is it. I'll never find my birth mother if she's still alive. And my birth dad is dead, you know, because I was hoping to at least find him and then find my birth mother through him, right? Because they, women, we get married and often change our last names, and especially back in that era. But yeah, so I did not, I thought, I gave up for a while again. I thought I have no chance. I, 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 but I kept watching the DNA website and more and more names kept showing up. And I was going up to New York State last year, last summer. And I thought, you know what, what do I have to lose? If I can even learn something about this man that I didn't get to meet, let me just, you know, contact his widow and see if she'll talk to me and just tell me what he was like and what kind of sense of humor and what color did he like and what kind of food or what, just to give me some kinds of things, you know, and see pictures of him and see if I looked at all like him, you know, did I have his eyes or whatever, you know? 
And so I contacted, I sent a message through Facebook and I didn't hear back for a while. And then I finally, I, get, I just, I had driven up to Maine with my friend and visited around Maine and drove over to New York State. And I get into the state line, I kid you not, just into the state line. And I get a message from this woman. I had to pull the car over because I thought, oh my gosh, right? This is amazing. And, um, you know, she wanted some more facts to make sure that I was not, you know, um, some goofball looking for yeah. money or, you know what I mean? You don't know. So it's pretty amazing because I, you know, then I gave her some more facts and then I didn't hear back from her again. And I was only going to be in New York for a few days, New York state that is. And so it's an amazing story because my friend that I had met up with, what happened is we went hiking and, um, I come out of the area where you could get no cell signal whatsoever. And I get these texts come through. One was from that woman, the, the widow. And she said, well, I really don't think that my husband was your father. I really think his brother is your father and he's alive and well, and you have many siblings. Oh my gosh. So right after her text came through, which is crazy long, you know, you can picture on the yeah. phone, right? Those like books that people write. So a book came in after that from a man named Bobby, and he gave me my weight, my length, everything, the time of my birth. He knew all those facts about me. And he said, if these are your birth facts, I believe you are my daughter. And I've been look, I'm gonna try not to cry. I've been looking for you your whole life. <laughs> and if you, you know, as an adopted woman to hear that, that was just so healing right there that wow. even if I hadn't gotten to meet him, but just to know that you're wanted and sought after and not forgotten is a huge thing to an adopted person. So, um, you know, a few hours after that, I went and met dad and his name is Bobby and I got to meet almost all my siblings. One of my brothers sadly passed away and um, one of my sisters lived in uh, Rhode Island, so she wasn't there. But what an amazing night that was. And I had one of my very dear friends with me, speaking of friendships, right? I've learned how to be a better friend, thank God. So she's a wonderful friend and she was there with me. And um, it was a powerful night. I just kept sitting there thinking, I have people that I have shared blood with, shared genes. And, and I couldn't believe the connection I felt with them instantly. That was really powerful and surprising. I always thought, oh, blood is thicker than water. What's the big deal? Oh my gosh, there's a, it is a big deal. There's a difference to it. And to look at the, the um, pictures of my siblings when they were little and see that I looked like them, that is another powerful thing as well. So yeah, that was an amazing, amazing experience for sure. Oh my goodness, that just sounds so amazing. What did you feel like that when you first saw your dad's face? You know, did you have this feeling of recognition? No, no, because I had no idea what, you know, he would look like, but I, 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 I couldn't drive, right? I was too, too emotional. So my friend drove me those like two and a half hours to get to him. And I got out of the car and I went to get my dog out of the back seat, you know, so I get out of the car and he had come out and he's standing up on his porch and I looked up at him and I said, are, are you Bobby? And he said, yes. And I turned around and I started to cry and I, um, you know, took my dog, started to take my dog out of the back seat because I needed something else to focus on so I didn't lose it. And um, my friend said, I will get him. And I, I don't even remember, I think I floated over to dad and hugged him, you know, a total stranger, but it didn't matter because you knew, <laughs> so sorry. No, no. You just knew, you knew who he was. It was really powerful. You finally had, 
in answer to who, you know, and my eyes are similar to his and I, and I do definitely have some features that are similar to dad's. And, and again, my, um, my sisters that are from dad, we're not all like hundred percent biological, but we are similar in our, yeah. in a lot of features, which is really amazing. I didn't know how powerful that would be. Yeah. I, I didn't recognize him, but, um, I guess I meant just that feeling like you look at some and you kind of recognize a little bit of yourself in people's features and yeah i yeah uh once i got in and he started to show me all these different pictures of family and and my siblings when they were little then yes i felt a definite connection for sure and uh i couldn't believe how complete that started to make make me feel complete you won't you know you're not complete till you meet your birth mom if you can and um so that was just powerful that night and i I, I will never forget it. I'm still in awe. It's been over a year. Is last July 30th, you know, so it's just been over a year. And I'm still in awe. I'm still, it's still somewhat indescribable to me because my whole life I wanted to know who these people are, you know, what they, what they look like and yeah, and how they acted and everything, their history, my history. So I got to learn about the Italian side because my dad is pretty much Italian and I'm Italian Irish is what I was told. And, um, and there's a, another part to that story, but dad is very much Italian. And, you know, we talked about the family, like the roots from Italy. And now I know where my roots come from. That's an amazing feeling for sure. Oh, that's so beautiful. And what about your birth, your birth mum? Did you get to meet her soon after? It took a while. And I was thinking it didn't, I knew it took a little while, but I actually looked it up because I was trying to remember, I was looking through my journal from last year and, um, oh my goodness. So I got her maiden name from my birth dad and I, you know, as soon as I got home, I started to research. So 10 days later I found her, but in the meantime, I had given up for like three days because I got so frustrated. I was on the wrong branch. And what happened was somebody on that branch was the right age and she had died young in her thirties, like 35 or something like that. And I thought, Oh gosh, I thought my dad was dead. And what, what if my birth mom is the one that has passed on? but i just i didn't give up i came back to it so 10 days later i found her and i sent her a message on facebook as well and i didn't say you know i'm hey i'm your kid <laughs> right i didn't say i'm your child by the way so the first message was august 10th and i said something like i'm doing family research and i was wondering if you could help confirm any i forgot i said something like that confirm some relationships or see if we are related something like that and i didn't hear back for eight days so on august 18th i sent another message and i said well i'm just going to be straightforward with you and explain that i believe i am your biological daughter and i gave my birth information and i told her i don't want anything from you i just would love to get to know where i come from and and to say thank you and i left it at that and i still didn't hear from her for a while <laughs> Wow. And she did not see the message on Facebook for a while. That's why she was out of the country when she saw it. And so she sent me a message back and said that I was her missing piece from her life. And she would love to talk to me. And she would call me when she got back into the country. Oh. So that was an amazing thing as well. Because, you know, you could be rejected by one or they could have been embarrassed that they had you at such a young age. She was 19. Like a, by a few weeks, she was 19 years old when she had me. My birth dad was 18 years old. Wow. And that's why they had the wrong brother because his brother was just like a year, year and a half older than him. So 
yeah so then i got to talk with mom when we were both were very nervous that first phone conversation she lives in washington state so i'm in florida she could not be further really from me so we spoke on the phone and then in december i went and visited her for like five days and that was just i mean it's i feel complete that's the only way to put it i feel complete i'm so grateful to have them in my life and I met one of my brothers and I've met the other one in March. And so I've met almost all my siblings now and I have a huge family. <laughs> your birth mother has two sons. Is that what you're saying? Two sons. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you've got so many new family. That's amazing. Yeah. That so, so my original adoptive siblings, there's two of them. And then I have nine more. Wow. So a total of 11 siblings. It's huge. <laughs> that's, that's life changing, isn't it? It is, yes, massively life-changing, yes. Yeah, it's a huge shift in your thinking and the people to check in with and say hello to and let them know you love them. And it's, it's really, it's unbelievable. I just can't believe it still. <laughs> and how, no how, how is your relationship with your adoptive parents and how do they feel about you finding your, your other family, your first family? I, we've been working on a relationship and actually it was before I even found my birth family as well. They actually came a couple Christmases ago. They live in Colorado and they came to visit and they were, you know, wanted to start fresh and try to have a relationship. So that was wonderful. And then they have been very supportive with me finding my birth family. And uh, I'm grateful for that, you know, that there's no tension with that at all. And to be honest with you, as you get older, you see your parents differently anyways, don't you? So I, I realized that, you know, they had difficult childhoods and you do the, we do the best we can is the only way I can think to say it. As we get older, we do the best we can at that time in our life. And, and we all have our own struggles. And when you get older, you realize that your parents had their own struggles and, and issues to deal with as well. But they have been really wonderful with this, you know, finding my birth family and being happy for me. And it's so cute because my mom has like friended these folks that are my birth family. They're talking to each other on Facebook. It blows my mind. They're like, you know, they'll comment on each other's um, posts and things. And it's pretty mind blowing. Like my little sister, she's just 20. And she comments on things that my, you know, my other sister, Kate, adopted from Korea, you know, says. And it's just amazing to me that they're, it's, we're all united really in the sense of we, it's a smaller world than you think, I guess is the way to put it. And it just, I just love it. I love that we're connected. But yeah, gratefully, thankfully, my adoptive parents have no problems with me being in touch with them. And it's also made me appreciate my adoptive parents much more, to be honest with you, because you do remember the good times, the fun pizza parties or the, like my parents threw me a big 16th birthday, surprise birthday party. And all these things are coming back because you start to appreciate your parents and you realize that they did do their best and they definitely gave you some good times as well yeah it's good to get to the point where you can see that isn't it yeah yeah I th i'd rather focus on the positive and the happy any day because what are we going to do unearth all that pain and try to move through it you can't you just can't do it it's just it's just overwhelming so i'd rather just forgive and move on and and take whatever kind of relationship i can have now and enjoy them enjoy their their goofiness and their you know they've gotten much more i'm trying to think of what the word is they're just not as uh reserved as they were and they're not as conservative in the sense of being so black and white about things so it's easier to talk to them and it's more enjoyable to me but 
you know, we still struggle. There's still different things that come up that we don't agree on and we're not going to. And you just let it go to forgive it and let it go because, you know, they're literally elderly now. And what am I going to do? Just hold on to that till they pass on? No, not good. I'm not going to let them die with me feeling this way. I just, I refuse to do that. In the end, we all think and feel different things and we just have to let each other do that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I talk about the family treasure box and the things that we should take out of it for our kids. And you've touched on some of the things that you think are important and you've talked about words and the words we use and connection. Is there anything else that you think is really important for parents to remember? I think it's just accepting each other. Understand that we all actually are adopted in different ways, right? You might've been adopted by your friends or maybe maybe a parent had a difficult childhood. I'm sure there's tons of us, right? We're growing up and if I had had children, I had always hoped that I wouldn't pass on my different issues, but you know what? I don't know. I might've, right? It's life. But if you can keep in mind that that little soul, that little spirit that you have in your home with you, if you can just let them know that you love them regardless of what they do, not saying that you condone it, you know, whether it's drugs or lying or whatever it is, but just that they are loved, that will go so much farther than anything you can do. That, and like I said, watching your words, but trying to always praise them in the sense of like, just pointing out the positive things. Think on the positive side. If you can help train their brain also to think positive about themselves and other people and look for the good, what a difference that'll make to our world entirely, let alone your little family. It's a huge thing. I just can't say enough about letting people be who they are. We come into this world, it seems to me, like I said, I have a strong core to myself that I am actually thrilled by that I didn't realize as a child I had. But if you can help your child see their different strengths, you will have them hundreds of miles ahead of anyone else because a lot of children don't grow up with that. So yeah, I think words, love, hugs, I think touch if your child likes to be you know, hugged, hug them. You never will have enough chances to do that, I think. So, um, yeah, those are the things I think are key. I love all those things. I love all those things. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. And I wanted to talk to you about your awesome new podcast that you've created, Dogs Are the Best Friends. I was listening to an episode yesterday. Tell me a little bit about your podcast. Thank you. Yeah, um, I have wanted to do this for over two years. And I'll tell you what, what has driven me is actually finding my birth family because I am determined to get to know them. I'm not young. I'm like 51. So my folks, my mom, birth mom, just turned 70. And my birth dad is 69. My my adoptive parents are just about 81. So here's the thing. I I want to know these people. I want to spend time with these people. So the podcast is a way that I get to share my love of dogs and I get to share my love of training. And mainly what it is, is getting people together to, for me to interview them, to pull out their stories about their dogs, whether they had a hard start together and that dog was just crazy and they couldn't figure out how to train it. And I'll tell you right now that I'm one of those people. My very first dog was insane. She was, we called her you know, we called her Morgan the maniac. She just was a maniac. She was crazy. So it's such a, I have, I cannot believe how blessed I feel to do this. I've only been doing about four months. And so people come on, they share their stories of their dogs, the things that they love about their dogs, the silly things they do, how they met their dog. For example, my dog, I, I didn't meet him until he's a year and a half. So people get to share from their heart, their stories, 
their struggles, the good and the bad. And as dog lovers, that's what we want to hear. I could talk about dogs all day. So don't, I mean, yeah, you probably don't want to ask me too many questions, but I can literally talk about dogs all day. And it's for dog lovers like me. And I love that I get to do this. And I love that I'm not the only crazy person out there that, you know, wants to hear these stories. So we've had stories about medical alert dogs that help people with diabetes, literally saving their lives every day, nine to 12 times a day. They help these people. It's mind blowing. We've had people on talking about sheep herding, like border collies and how they round up the sheep and learn how to do that and how there's serious skill involved in that. And I have a person coming on soon that is well known on YouTube for the van life. And so I will be interviewing him about his little dog, which will be fun as well. So these are people of all different walks of life and our connection is our love of our dogs and how those dogs have enriched us both physically and spiritually. And just, I feel like dogs have so many levels to them and they teach us. I know I'm a better friend since I've had dogs. I know I'm a better person. I'm more empathetic and uh, dogs just help you to live in the moment. Because when you, I, I, we all do this, right? We just start the gears going and we're thinking five months ahead, like we have any control over that. Like, did we know COVID was gonna come down in March? We had no idea. So dogs take you back to those simple walks that they need and the simple things of life and they help you stay in the moment. And that's, that's why I love what I do. So thank you for letting me share about that. Oh, that's, that's so good. I've, I've got a dog and I'm absolutely, yeah. It's <laughs> such a big part of my life. <laughs> He's so beautiful. Um, where can we find your podcast and where can we find anything else about you? Yeah. Um, dogs are the best friends.com is the website and they can listen to the podcast on there. There's actually a page with the podcast there. They can also listen on Apple, Spotify, pretty much any app out there has my podcast on it, Google podcast, everything. So it's dogs are the best friends. And I have about 17, 18 episodes out. And I will continue on if they want. Also, there's a contact form on there with my email. If they want to share about their dog, no, it doesn't have to be some crazy dramatic story like a medical alert dog. If you love your dog and you want to share that, your stories and your passion for dogs and silliness and I just, you know, anything they want, please let me know. I'm, I want to hear all the stories I can hear. <laughs> and I think I'll you too. <laughs> That sounds so much fun. Oh, Emily, thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you came on and shared your amazing story. I know a lot of people go through this exact kind of story and some people don't have a great ending. And I'm so, so happy that yours has worked out so beautifully and, and you've met your birth parents and it's all gone so well for you. I'm so happy for you. Thank you, Don. I appreciate the opportunity to share it. And I hope it encourages someone else that might be in a situation right now where they don't feel loved or supported, or if they're trying to figure out as a parent how to reach out to their child, maybe this will help them. And thank you so much for letting me tell my story. I'm really grateful for you and for your mission that you're on. It's a beautiful, very important one. Thank you. Check the show notes for a direct link to all books recommended in this episode. Come and follow me on Instagram at mybigloveproject. Drop a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. 
Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Thank you.